I want to start off with a sort of an interesting thing. Uh, so there was a pastor in Santa Maria. He had this little runabout boat, and the, the boat's about as old as I am, and he didn't want much money for it, but he said, you know, my kids are grown and gone. Uh, your kids are a perfect age for it. I'll give you this dirt cheap, and then, you know, instead of taking it to the junkyard, uh, you know, you can have it. And there needed to be a few things um, fixed on it, so, I mean, it was, uh, it was that as well. So we, so we got this little thing, and I, I'd never been in a California lake before, so that was kind of fun, too. It was a neat experience for me. But as we were backing in, and my wife, by the way, this was cool. I didn't know she had it in her. She backs the boat in now. She goes, gets the trail. She does all that, you know, because I was thinking to myself, how am I going to back the boat in and then jump on the boat? Well, you know, I mean, it was just, and she stepped up like a champ pro. And, and so, so the first time, you know, she's backing it in. I'm in there and she, she actually does it perfect. She backs in, hits the brakes. So the boat just coasts off. I'm like, it's a miracle. You know, she's a genius. She just did it, you know. And uh, so I, I, I start the boat up. Boat starts up, first turn of the key. I'm like, oh, my goodness, this day could not be better, you know. And, and as I'm going, I'm just kind of putzing along. You know, I didn't want to really hurt the thing, you know. I just bought it. I noticed, wow, this boat sits low in the water. I mean, that, you know, this thing is really, this must be like a ski boat. You know, it sits low in the water and is kind of a little too low. I'm like, wait a minute, what in the world? So I, I pull up the engine compartment, and there's water everywhere. I'm like, oh, this is the Titanic, you know. I mean, it's like that. And I remembered that when I bought it off that other pastor, he said, by the way, before you put it in, you got to put the plug in. Yes. And I forgot to put the plug in. So all of a sudden, I'm on the lake now. I mean, it's my first time. I'm on the lake now. And there's one thing I remembered that my dad taught me when I was younger. If you're ever in that situation, what do you do? You gun it, right? You gun it. It takes the boat out of the water, and because you're going so fast, the water begins to drain. So I told my, I had two little, my two younger kids on there. I said, hold on, <laughs> hold on. And I remember just, you know, and I'm trying to get this boat out. And I'm yelling from the shore, Tanya, back up the truck, back up the truck, you know. And, and she finally, like, understood what I was saying. She said, what's wrong, what's wrong? I forgot to put the plug in. Oh, okay, you know. And so, I mean, I, I almost rammed into the truck. You know, I drove that thing. Do, 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 do. You got it up. Go, go, go. You know, we got it up out of the water. But I, it was kind of interesting. The thought occurred to me how just that little hole would have sunk that boat that was about eight feet, 18 feet long, you know, that little hole. You know, if you look at the sinking of the Titanic, they've now found the little puncture marks, and they're 30 feet long, 30 feet. On a ship that was nearly 900 feet, it just took 30 feet of, of uh, these holes, you know, about two-inch holes punctured through the steel. And, and that's what sunk a ship that was you know, nearly a quarter mile long. And so today I want to ask you, talk a little bit about sounding. Before you go out on a cruise or before you go on any journey, the captain will say to the chief engineer, have we sounded the ship? Is the ship sound? Now what he's asking when he asks that is not, uh, you know, uh, is the, does the coffee maker work? You know, are the toilets functioning? We all care about that, right? That's what we want to know, that all that stuff works. 
But what is he really asking when he says, have we sounded the ship? When we get out in the middle of the ocean, is it going to, uh, I was thinking float, but okay, sink, you know. Uh, uh, is it going to sink, right? Because you can't fix toilets or coffee makers when you're at the bottom of the ocean, right? So sounding the ship is, you know, it, it's, it's, it's vital to surviving out there on the open ocean. And uh, so he goes around and a chief engineer sounds the ship and it's ready to float. A ship that is sound can tackle the horizon no matter what. But a ship that's not sound, that has even just the tiniest holes, can find themselves at the bottom of whatever body of water they're at. And so my question for you this morning is how sound is your ship? How sound is your ship? Are there little holes that you know about? Because you see, the second time I took our boat out, there was a hole in it. But here's the funny thing. I knew about the hole. My wife probably doesn't want to hear that. But I knew about the hole. Uh, I knew about it because when I finally did put the plug in and I screwed it on too tight, the whole casing for the plug went in. So I got some duct tape. Duct tape works for everything. <laughs> I got some duct tape, and I got it because we were going to go out that day. Um, we were going to go out that day, and, and, uh, and I knew there was a hole there, but why was I not worried, anybody who has a boat? Because I also have something else called a, what? A bilge pump. And I knew, I knew that the water was going to come in slower then that bilge pump could pump out. So I had prepared for that to happen. And uh, so sure enough, I'm out there and the bilge pumps are pumping out the water quicker than I can, you know, than the water's coming in. And a lot of us in life, we have bilge pumps. We have pumps that are pumping out the bad stuff quicker than it's coming in. And so we think we're okay. There's only one problem. What happens when the water starts coming in quicker than we can pump it out. We're sunk. And I think what God is trying to tell us with this particular scripture is quit relying on your pumps. Quit relying on your pumps to pump the water out faster than it's coming in and sound the ship. God's saying, let me plug the leaks. Let me show you the way where you can tackle the horizon with peace rather than fear. And one of the greatest scriptures that really encapsulate that is the one right behind me, or the one, that, the one that's going to be right behind me in a second here. And that is 2 Timothy 1.7. And this week, I wanted to do something interesting. I wanted to throw in the Greek words in there so you could kind of see where some of these words come from. 2 Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, the word there is dunamis, which is where we get the word dynamite, dynamite. You know, it's power, explosive power. For God has not given a spirit of fear, but of dunamis, agape, uh, which is a word that was rarely used in Jesus' day because they rarely did it, uh, which is unconditional love, loving you no matter what, and then a sound mind. And the word there is sophronis, sophronimos, sophronimos. 
And that word is translated, actually that word is a unique word. It's used a lot in ancient Greek writings. It's used a lot in the Bible. But it has about eight to 10 different English words that you could translate it to. You could translate it self-control, restrained passions, trained reflexes, moderation, sound mind, sober thinking, wise judgment. But with all these aspects, the, the thought here is wisdom making. That God has given us a spirit to help us make wisdom or, or, or understand the wisdom to where he is leading us. There's some other scriptures that have the same word. In Mark chapter 5, when Jesus drives a demon out of a man, it says uh, here that uh, they saw the man who was possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind, you know? And they were afraid. They were afraid because they only saw him as a demon-possessed man. Crazy, loony, remember, they took him to the cemetery and tried to chain him there. He was an outcast. They didn't want to see him because he was nuts. And all of a sudden, they come, and he's in his right mind. He's having a conversation with Jesus. They're saying, what in the world happened here? Sophronismos is what happened. That's what God gave him. That's what God gives us. Romans chapter 12, verse 3 says, For the grace given by me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Sophronismos, sober judgment. Titus 2, 6, similarly encourage the young men to be self-controlled. Same word. See, I can kind of get, depending on the context, it's translated in different ways. In 1 Peter 4, 7, Peter says, the end of all things is near, therefore be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Sophronismos, self-control, sound mind, wise judgment. At the end of the day, sophronismos is basically this, supernatural wisdom. Supernatural wisdom. And I have actually had people ask me, What does wisdom mean? Is wisdom just like good advice, true teaching? What is, I hear this word wisdom and I shy away from it because it almost seems too big a word for me. Let me help you out with that right now. Let me set you free so that for the rest of the days, from this day forward, you will always seek wisdom. Wisdom is simply this, looking into the future, making decisions with the future in mind. That is wisdom. That is wisdom. Wisdom is seeing into the future. It's seeing the consequences of decisions. It's seeing the consequences of actions and reactions and being able to see how that happens further on down the line. So Fratismos, as God's wisdom, considers the future of relationships. If I say this today, how is he going to feel tomorrow? If I do this today, what is that going to do in my marriage tomorrow? What is that going to do in my friendship tomorrow? If I just blow up and let all my anger just roar, I may feel good today, but what is going to happen tomorrow? That's Sophronismos. Considers the future of relationships. The second one is it considers spiritual futures. This is a very key thing. The wisdom of God always is asking, I could do this, but how is it going to affect me spiritually down the road? Is it going to spiritually bring me closer to God or is it going to spiritually harden my heart so I began to get further and further away from God? And finally, it considers financial future. Yes, 
God cares very much about our financial future. He's very much involved in it. He wants us to eat. He wants us to live in shelter. He, want, he wants us to have clothes. Amen. You know, I mean, there are things that God is invested in and he uses, uh, you know, the, the financial system we have in place to do that. And I have seen, you have probably seen it, where God is trying to bless somebody and they fight it or they make decisions that ruin it. You're like, oh my goodness, God just blessed this person and they're acting like an idiot, you know? They don't know what to do with it. I mean, you know, God is very much involved in wisdom in terms of our financial futures. But wisdom is looking into the future. Lack of wisdom is when it's all in the moment. I'm gonna do this because it'll feel good now. It's it's not think, animals don't think of the consequences of tomorrow. People filled with God's wisdom do. It's future thinking, forward thinking, seeing into the future and allowing that to to guide your decisions in the present. Now, you can have bad wisdom. You can have bad wisdom. For example, married couple is fighting, they're on the brink of divorce, and so they decide, let's have a baby and we'll come closer together. Let's have a child and that'll fix our marriage. Now, we kind of chuckle, we kind of laugh, but the fact of the matter is, a lot of people do it. They start fighting, they start getting distant, and they look for anything that's gonna try to help them become close again, and they think a baby will do it. And so that, you know, that is an example of bad wisdom, right? Uh, That will not fix your problems, that will probably only amplify them. Uh, The second thing, there's good human wisdom, right? There's good old-fashioned human, let's face it, we, we're, we're smart, we're intelligent, we can make some good things, and, and so good human wisdom kind of sounds like this, you know what, my joints are getting a little achy, I think I'm going to go retire in Florida. That's fine. And then two weeks later, a hurricane takes out your cottage, you know. Now some of you laugh, but that is exactly what happened to my parents. <laughs> they... They, they bought just a little cottage that they could go and, and escape the Michigan cold from, and two weeks later, Hurricane Florence, no, not Florence, is this year, Irma, Hurricane Irma comes, and boom, they, they just, it was done. It flooded it, everything, you know. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, you know, nothing, nothing terribly bad, but, you know, human wisdom, you know, it's still, any, you know, anything goes, it's, things could happen. The third kind of wisdom is the most important wisdom, which is, perfect wisdom or God's wisdom and it only comes through a relationship with Christ and the infilling of the Holy Spirit it's the God leading you kind of wisdom it's the God leading you kind of wisdom it's the wisdom where you're like you know what yeah I want to move to Florida but something's telling me not to do it for six months that make sense or yeah I think I'm supposed to start my own business but some something's telling me I gotta wait another year. You don't even know why. You just know that that, you know, yeah, uh, you know, I I, I wanna do this, but just something inside is leading me and guiding me this way. And sometimes it makes sense. Sometimes it doesn't. That's that perfect kind of wisdom. So where does all of this come from? Again, go back to our verse. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, 
and a sound mind or self-control. And uh, the reason I say it like that is because that third word is predicated upon the middle word, and that is love. There is no wisdom we operate in supernaturally if we are not grounded and founded in true, agape, unconditional love. My first point is this. Unconditional love, which overcomes the fear of people, is the foundation of all wisdom. Power, love, and sound mind, they're not three separate aspects. They're all intertwined. So for example, unconditional love says, you are not me, and I am not you. And that's okay. Some of you got to say amen on that one. You know, that's okay. It's okay that I don't think like you. It's okay I don't see the world like you. It's okay that I, I don't base all my decisions this exact same way you do. I get to be me. Unconditional love says you get to be you, and I get to be me, and I'm not going to try to control you to become more like me. Isn't that like setting everybody free right now, you know? Unconditional love says, I love you as much as I love myself. See, if you have low self-esteem or you're struggling with self-hatred, it's going to be very hard for you in a healthy way to love anybody else because you're going to want to suck the power from them dry. You're going to want to just consume the love off them because your tank is so low, you're going to want other people to make you happy because you can't find joy in yourself. And so what? unconditional love says is you know what i love me i am lovable i have strengths i have weaknesses i'm working on them but you know what god is filling my heart with his love his power his uh self uh, his sophronismos his sound mind self-control wise judgment that you know what i can love me and i can love you we can both be powerful loving and respectful at the same time and that's what makes god beautiful Unconditional love does not say, I accept your behavior no matter what. I don't know where we got, where we went lost on this, but we think, you know, well, I, I just need to accept everything. No, you don't need to accept everything. There is behavior. In fact, if you accept everything, that is probably one of the most unloving things you can do. Sometimes the most loving thing you can do for somebody is to reject the behavior and say, you know what, I reject this behavior, I don't reject you, I reject this behavior because I know where this behavior ends up. And it ends up in a world of pain and suffering you don't wanna be in. So yes, I may seem like a jerk now, but I can see where this ends up, perhaps clearer than you right now. And I love you enough to say it and to draw a boundary and say, don't bring this into me. Make sense? Thank you. Somebody said that. <laughs> one, of the, one of the things uh, out of this book I've been uh, preaching from that's kind of really broken down this verse for me uh, from Pastor Danny Silk uh, titled Keep Your Love On. He has a really neat example. He says, say you want to come into my house, metaphorically the, the house of my heart. Now let's also imagine that on the way to the front door, you either purposefully or accidentally step in dog poop. It happens. It happens, you know. 
and you think to yourself, I don't want that dog poop in my house. I don't want it smeared on my carpet. I don't want it on my tile. I really don't even want it on the sidewalk coming up to my house. It's in the yard and that's where it belongs. So you say, you know what? You can feel free to come into my house, but I want you to clean the dog poop up first. In fact, I'll even help you clean up the dog poop, but I do not want that in my house. Reasonable enough, right? You see, not wanting dog poop in my house does not mean that I don't want you in my house. It means I don't want your dog poop in my house. Probably my dog because it was my front lawn, right? You know, anyway. I separate you from the mess. I can choose to love you while asking you to clean the mess before you come into my house. Now, if you try to force your way in, I'll stand my ground. And trust me, I'll stand my ground. Nobody forces their way into my house. This is not controlling what you do. This is controlling what I do. Hear what I'm saying? I'm not controlling what you do. You can choose to keep that poop on your shoe, and that's your choice. You can make that choice. You can go run around my front yard all you want. I'm not going to choose what you do. I am choosing what I do and what I allow into my house. There's no control there. This is not controlling someone else. This is controlling myself, my choices, and my boundaries. And sometimes you have to be willing to agree to disagree. And that's okay. None of this nullifies unconditional love. In fact, this is exactly how God deals with us. God wants us to come into heaven and live with him. But he says, you got some dog poop in your soul. Some of you more than others. But I don't want any of it. So tell you what, I'm going to clean it. That's the cross. I'm going to clean it. Stick, come, come here, put, put your shoe right there. I'm going to clean it so we get it off. You know what some people do? I don't want it cleaned off. I don't think it needs to be cleaned off. I don't think dog poop is all that bad, to be honest with you. You know, I mean, we, you got a bunch of people running around the front yard with God has got a wide open door. But see, this is unconditional love. He loves us enough to say, I want you. I just don't want the mess. I'll help you clean it. I want you to come on in. God does that with us, and he trains us to do that with people. Just because you have boundaries doesn't mean you're not loving. In fact, sometimes establishing boundaries is the most loving thing you could do. Not wanting the dog poop in my house does not mean I don't want you in my house. If anything, unconditional love protects the sovereignty and freedom of each individual person not under compulsion or coercion, just thinking about how our decisions will affect everybody else. If I let someone come in with dog poop in my house and they smear dog poop all over my carpet, how is my wife going to like that? I'm not going to like that very much. How are my kids going to like that when I force them to clean it? They're not going to like that very much. Nobody likes that very much, you know? Unconditional love is, listen to me, unconditional love is always thinking about the future. 
unconditional love is always thinking about the past. Write that one down. Unconditional love is always thinking how can we build and grow to the future God has for us. Conditional love is always looking at the past. How can I get more justice for the wrongs that were done to me? Unconditional love floods our soul with a sound mind. Conditional love is a ship sinker. Proverbs 29, 25 says, fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord will be kept safe. Now, number two, remember when I said they're all intertwined? This unconditional love also results in spiritual power. You know, when you get around somebody and they can't be controlled and they can't be coerced, and they don't care if you reject them or not. They'll just walk away on their merry old life, say, oh, it makes me sad. I wish we could be friends, but here I go. I mean, we like, we're attracted to those kind of people. Oh my goodness. How are they so confident in themselves? How are they so secure in their identity? How are they so, I mean, we, we begin to freak out. Like, I can't believe there are people on earth that are like that. You mean you're actually not gonna do backflips for my acceptance? You know what that is? It's power. When the power of God begins to flood us, the fear of people begins to get drained right out. And no better, no better place do you find this in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, where God says, there is no fear in love. There is no fear in love. So love and fear, they repel each other, right? When you have love, it's driving away the fear. When you have fear, it's driving away the love. When you have love, it's driving away the fear. Unfortunately, many of us live this way. I love and it's driving away the fear. Oh, I get afraid and it's driving back to love. I love and it's driving away the fear. Oh, I get afraid and it's driving back to love. It'll make you crazy if it hasn't already. God says is there is no fear in love because perfect love drives out the fear. If you have anxiety, control freak issues, not being able to be pushed out of your comfort zone issues, what you need is the love of God to drive that all out. Why? Because God identifies why we have those issues. He says it right here. Because fear has to do with punishment. God does not want you to follow him all of your life afraid of him feeling like two seconds after I die, I'm gonna get the divine spanking of my life. If you're living like that, then you still get in, but you're missing out. You're missing out on your God-given right to something better. And that is love. And when you find that and you hold on to it, lifelong, you never change it. You will find power beginning to exude from you. It's God's power, not yours. And sophronismos, that wisdom, that sound mind, that sober judgment. Romans chapter eight, verse 15 says, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear. Is Paul saying the same thing really? But the spirit you received brought your adoption to sonship and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Why do I bring out this scripture? Because you can address, address your paternal parent in a lot of different ways. You can say, Father, you know, very formal, very, you know, Father, 
Or you can go, Dad. Which one feels like love? Dad. That's the exact Aramaic word that Jesus used. He said, you know what, don't, don't, don't call him my great paternal parent. Dad. Because there's an exchange of love in the relationship. All right, so a couple of take-homes real quick. Uh, this will go real quick. Some skills to take home with, things you can do this afternoon or this evening. Number one, decisions are always made with future and eternity in sight. Look, when you make a choice, when you make a decision, ask God, God, show me where this goes on down the road. Show me where this goes on down the road. You know, you will find, listen to me, you will find most of the biblical principles that God gives are because he thought through further on down the line. You know, it's why we don't steal. It's why, uh, you know, we don't commit perjury. It's why we save ourselves for marriage. All of those things, in and of themselves, the act may not be heinous, it may be loving, but it's, it's looking on further down the line to see the wisdom of God and where that leads, all right? So the first thing that really to take out of power, love, and sound mind is begin to consider the future and eternity in sight. Number two, you are always saying yes to one thing and no to another. Now, if you talk, to like, you know, particularly people, especially if they're dieting or they're trying to, you know, quit booze or something like that, what they'll tell you is what they're saying no to. Oh, I'm saying no to the cheeseburgers, and I'm saying no to the whiskey, and I'm saying no to, you know. It is so important to also articulate what you are saying yes to. I am saying no to the cheeseburgers, but I am saying yes to this killer egg salad. Man, I tried it the other day. I never realized how much I loved egg salad. You know, it's very important. We are so into what we say no. Adam, even the garden, right? What did the, what did the devil do? The serpent brings them to the one tree and they focused on what we're supposed to say no to. I wish someone would have screamed in their ear, but wait a minute, there's a thousand trees to say yes to. Part of the self-control, sound mind aspect of this scripture is that Whenever we are saying yes to something, we are also saying no to something. And when we say no to something, we are also saying yes to something and to recognize it and to say it. It's important to say it. For the guy who's struggling with drugs, for them to just say, you know, I'm just saying no to heroin today. But you know what? I'm saying yes to 25 years added to my life. See the difference? See the difference? I mean, that's, you know, to be able to say, this is what I'm saying yes to, this is what I'm saying no to. Uh, number three, become a stickler to the truth. You know, we all kind of lie a little bit. We do. You, you do, you know? You, 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 some of you are like, no, I never tell a lie. You do, you do. You exaggerate, you know? Honestly, 99% of the time, it's probably harmless. You're not trying to deceive anybody. You know, you just exaggerate a little bit. You know, I mean, uh, you know, listen to the millennials. They're, 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 they got PhDs in it, you know. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, you know. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I mean, just a little bit of exact. And you know what? 99 times out of 100, it's harmless. But what happens when the little exaggerations become big exaggerations? And all of a sudden, the big exaggerations become fabrications. 
outright lies. You know what's going to happen? People will not trust you because truth is the foundation of trust. If people can't trust your truth, they can't trust you. You know what happens even worse than that after a while? You begin to not even trust yourself. A symptom of someone who is out of control is when they can't follow through on what they said they were going to do. That person is saying, I'm powerless. No, I'm not talking about circumstances come up, you break your leg and you can't mow the lawn. I'm, not, I'm talking about weak follow through. What happens is people begin to not trust you. I do all the time in ministry. Here's people I ask to do stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, I want to do that. Oh, yeah, yeah, I want to. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm going to be there. They don't show up. Oh, yeah, I'm going to be there. They don't show up. What happens? I stop asking. I don't trust them. And then they're like, oh, hey, uh, I want to do this or lead this. or I'm like, I don't know. Because I don't trust them. You know, if you can't follow through in the little things, how are you going to follow through in the big things? Become a stickler to the truth. And then finally, number four, accept that God has chosen you so that you can choose him. None of this is through our power or what we do. All of this is allowing God to do it through us. The moment that God comes up, puts his hand on your forehead and says, I choose you. There's one thing you do in this life. Because remember, God will not control you. He will not force the decision. The one decision we make is say, God, I choose you back. From that point on, he gives us his spirit and everything I've been talking about the last few weeks is an outflowing of his spirit. But that is the one thing that we have to do. We choose him back. It, 70 or 80 years ago, you know, we fought the Korean War. And soldiers went over there and soldiers being soldiers one of the soldiers had an affair with one of the korean village women and he left he went back to the united states because the war ended and she had a child a girl and if you know anything about asian countries they their society rejects flat out mixed babies particularly amerasian babies uh, because they were there sort of as conquerors right so this little girl tuki was born in 1952. And he, her and her mother were horrifically rejected by the village. Uh, she never had shots, so she had worms in her stomach, right? Uh, she had mucus constantly in her lungs. And she said for the first 10 years of her life, she scratched her head because she had lice. And she lived that way with her mother for seven years. And finally, after seven years... Her mother decided she couldn't take it and she dropped her daughter off at an orphanage and abandoned her to the orphanage. The orphanage took her in but said because of her condition, she had boils and eczema, she had skin, she must have had a major skin disease or something. She was disfigured, she was very ugly to look at and just, she said, you know, you're pr you, we, we can keep you until you're 18 and when you're 18 you gotta go figure out something for your life. What's she gonna do? She had brown curly hair and a half Asian, half Caucasian face. Everybody knew what she was. There was no hiding it. So one day, a, an American couple shows up in South Korea 
1959. She would have been, I'm sorry, 1961. She would have been nine years old. And when they came, uh, they were going to adopt a baby boy. And so they had about five or six baby boys. This girl is bathing them and getting them all ready. And when the couple came, they were looking over the boys, looking over the boys, and the, and the dad just kept looking over in the corner, and this little girl who was watching this process to see someone get accepted and taken to the great United States as they were always hopeful to get. And uh, the dad just kept looking over in the corner, seeing this little, you know, half Asian, half Caucasian girl who is not so little anymore, she's nine years old. And they're going through the babies, and he, and he, he sees the father whisper to the wife something. And he walks over, and she has boils and skin blisters all over her face. He takes his big, powerful hand, and he puts his hand on her face, signifying that he's not afraid to touch her face. And he looks at the orphanage director and says, I choose her. She was taken back to the United States, became successful as one of the first female respiratory therapists, became a, obviously became a Christian, shared her story. That's how I have it. And that, as, sh as she shares her story, she shares it like that. I know what it's like to be chosen. And she's may we all know what it's like to be chosen because we're all those orphans with dirt and mud in our face and soul. And God walks over and says, I choose you. 